0: Got to be there by now. And uh, last week we started Romans chapter five, and we talked about the first five verses. And if you remember, just to give you a quick uh, briefing on it, we we talked about the process in your life and my life of not just learning how to rejoice in the good things, the glory of God, you know, but also it talked about glorying in our tribulations. I think one of the greatest. Concepts in that whole passage, and in Romans chapter 5, is just loaded. I don't know how far we'll get today, there's just so much to look at today. In here, is the concept where he says, Wherein we stand. We sing a song, Standing on the Promises, you know, and that's so true. That's what we stand on. We stand on the Word of God in its absolute truth that it never changes. And our standing in Christ Jesus is really the key to our, our individual victory in our life. We learned a great truth last week, a number of great truths, but we learned uh, the fact that uh, there's a process to learning how to work with people, and that process is, comes into your life as you make yourself available in this local church, in this ministry, and you grab the vision of my work, and you make it your work, and together uh, we work together, and the process comes into in, in the, in the play in your life. Bible calls it the fact that he talked about the perfect work, work of patience. How that when we, have, when we have a relationship with God and we're in ministry, we have tribulation, godly tribulation for standing for the Lord. And how that that leads to patience. And how that when you develop patience, patience then leads to experience, which leads to hope. And these uh, are the great concepts that we all need to have in our lives as we try to minister in these last days. And uh, he, he, we saw how that, as you and I go through these things that, and experience these things, that's how God builds the character in your life and gives you those things that you need. And I talked last week about the two absolute greatest things you've got to have in working with people and working in ministry is patience and then experience. And that only comes from, from working with people, getting the right guidance, the right help, somebody showing you how to do, what not to do. And we talked about all of that last week. And then we've talked about how that that leads to the fact that we're not ashamed of what God has called us to do. The number one reason I've found over the years that most of God's people really don't get plugged in and do what God has called them to do because they're ashamed of it. Not sound sounds like a terrible thing to say, but it's true. You're ashamed of what your friends will think at work if you show up tomorrow and have to carry a Bible and start witnessing. You're afraid of what your family will say when they find out that you know, that you're really going to take a stand for God. Many times that's where the tribulation comes in your life. Many times it is the the people in your life that are closest to you give you more of a problem than the people that are just good old unsaved people out there. But that's where you learn the experience and the the patience and the experience. And that's where uh, you get to the point where you begin to understand the Bible's concept of what it means when it uses the word hope. We talked last week that hope, the word hope, isn't like, I hope I'm saved, but it's the fact that Jesus Christ and the glory of God and all the things that He's written us in the Bible is is our only hope. And my hope today is built on the fact that Jesus Christ, uh, He's in charge of everything that goes on. And that hope will get you through, not only when you look around the world today and you see all the impending disasters, and I don't think I've ever been in the world uh, in my 40 or 50-some years uh, the where I've ever seen the world scene scenario in such a bleak, bad situation. I mean, this place is just, in, <laughs> it is, it was old Bob Jones Sr. used to say, this place is an insane asylum run by the inmates, man. I ain't kidding you. And uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> but when you understand the Bible concept of hope, <clears throat> you understand how all of that works. You know, in the Bible, and you've heard me say this before, that <clears throat> we've got a lot of new people here and a lot of visitors, so I'll kind of drop it again it's worth knowing in the bible you'll find three key words especially in what we call the wisdom books you find the word knowledge you find the word wisdom and then you find the word understanding and when we look at when we look at those three words they're very important in your life when you get knowledge about something you basically have the facts you know you 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 listen to the five o'clock news or you listen to Uh, To something on the radio where somebody explains something then you have knowledge you can speak somewhat intelligent about it You have the facts you uh, or what appear to be the facts anyhow, but you have knowledge about it Well when you take that knowledge and you do something with it in your life (coughs) That knowledge then translates itself into under into wisdom in your life And when you have wisdom you not only have the facts, but you understand how the facts work to bring about and give you an insight into it as far as the world is concerned. Now, let me just say this An unsaved man or an unsaved woman, any unsaved man or unsaved woman on this world can have knowledge and can have wisdom. Wisdom is not something that is relegated only to a child of God. Uh, there is a worldly wisdom out there and there are worldly knowledges that are very beneficial. I'm sure that you guys that were in your trades that you do for your living, I'm sure i will be probably an over, older guy showed you. How to do that and probably the older guy maybe he wasn't saved you know and you learn from that person uh, about and made yourself the trade that he had and now you're good at it because somebody had wisdom about how to do it and uh, you know put it together I mean I can look at a, I can look at a brick wall and look at the cinder blocks you know on a brick wall <clears throat> and I can say to myself well who couldn't build one of those I mean you just get the mud lay it on and just lay the bricks on it but there's more to it than that you see When I look at the brick wall, I say to myself, that's really easy. I built a brick wall one time. By the grace of God, I wasn't in it when it fell in. But I I didn't understand the fact that you got a, you ever see on a brick wall where the seams don't match up? See, they're they're offset. They call that, I love talking tech with you. They call that tying it in. And what you do, you gain strength from not. You put all the seams the same place, you know, you don't have any stability in it. Well, to me, I see a brick wall, I have knowledge. Put one brick on top of another and slap the mud on and wait till it dries and you got a wall. Well, somebody experienced says, no, you got to tie them in, see? There's all kinds of things that they do. Well, somebody who has experience sees that. Somebody just has knowledge like myself, you know, will build the wrong wall. And yes, you're right. You do not want me to help you build your house or anything like that. I help build your character, help build your soul, help build your body. But when it comes to building your house, better get Bubba to do it. I can't handle it for you so an unsaved man an unsaved woman can have knowledge and they can have also wisdom but what they can't have is the third ingredient and that ingredient is called understanding understanding in fact you'll find the word in Proverbs and in the book of Psalms you'll find the word knowledge wisdom and understanding used all through those books when it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes and you got to kind of understand how these books relate and what they really show the book of Ecclesiastes in your Bible is really a book that Solomon wrote that shows the worldly perspective of everything. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book that shows you that Solomon explored every ology, every idea, every philosophy man ever had, and then comes to the end and shows you that did isn't any good. And it's an amazing thing that when you come through Proverbs, you'll find the words knowledge, wisdom, and understanding all through the book. When you come through, when you come through the book of Psalms, you'll find those three words. But when you come to the book of e- uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, you'll never find the word understanding. Yeah, I think you find it one time, but it's just a reference to something in in general. You'll never find the word understanding in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know why? Because Ecclesiastes represents worldly wisdom, and worldly wisdom has no understanding. You listen to great radio guys, and I know you all listen to them, and I listen to them too when I'm driving back and forth. You listen to guys like Bill O'Reilly, and you guys like, uh, uh, what's the other guy's name, Uh, Rush Limbaugh, (coughs) and Sean Hannity, you know, Hannity and Cohen, and all those guys. (coughs) You listen to those guys, (coughs) and i got to tell (coughs) you, there are some guys that will give you some great knowledge and some great wisdom. When you listen to Bill O'Reilly all day long, he'll be able to go in and detail out for you what's wrong with his country as far as the liberals versus the, you know, conservatives and and show you who's right and who's wrong. He does a great job of that. But what Bill O'Reilly can't do, nor can any of them do, is put God in the equation, you see. They don't understand how God is the author of this confusion out here uh, in the world, even though the Bible says that He's not, not in the same sense. But He is allowing this to happen because God's right on a plan and God's right on schedule. And, of course, when you know the Bible, you can see the things as they really are, and you see it. I just saw it last week, and it's not one of my favorite movies, because I like science fiction movies, or I like movies that have science fiction things in them. But the last couple of weeks, I've been showing this movie on TV called They Live. How many ever saw that movie? You know what it's about? Oh, Harry saw it. Okay, (laughs) me and Harry. Anyway, it's it's a story like this. It's a story about a bunch of homeless people that are living under a bridge someplace, and they got a little community there, and they're all kind of living together. And across the street, there's a church. And the one guy is kind of hungry and wants to go find what's going on at the church, and he hears some music over there. So he goes over, and when he comes into the church, he finds out in the back room that there's really nobody there, and the music playing is on a tape, so everybody will think the church is full of people. So he goes in the back room, and he finds all these cardboard boxes <coughs> with glasses in them, sunglasses. So he says, well, you know what, I'll just take a pair of sunglasses with me. And, and he looks around a corner, and people have got big boxes of these sunglasses that they're going to do something with. And he just takes a pair and skedaddles out of there, you know. Next day, he's walking down the thing and puts the sunglasses on. And when he looks up at the billboard, the billboard is a billboard for, like, something else. And when he puts the glasses on, there's another message on it. And he takes them off and he looks at it and he puts them back on again and it keeps appearing and disappearing when he puts the glasses off. Then he puts the glasses on and when people are walking by him, golly, some of the people look like demonic things. I mean, they're ugly, they look like skeleton faces. And he takes them off and the person looks normally. puts them back on again. And end of the story is this. Aliens have invaded planet Earth. Of course, we already know that. <clears throat> Aliens have invaded planet Earth in this movie. And these people are trying to wipe them out and find them so they have developed a pair of glasses that when it put them on, it lets you show you who the real aliens are and who they are. Normal people look like normal people. But when you put them on and the aliens have taken over this person, the alien figuration just comes out of them and it's very obvious, you know. And the aliens are scrolling messages all around that you can't see. But you put the glasses on and it, it says, you know, eat at Luigi's or something like that. But it's got, it got all these messages on there. And I, I watched that movie and I think to myself, you know what? That's exactly what the Bible does for you. You see, the world appears one way, doesn't it? And we can listen to guys like Bill O'Reilly and guys like Rush Limbaugh, which I enjoy listening to them, and, I, and Sean Hannity and those guys, you know, and there's some great guys on there on, on the thing that you listen to, and they get your blood all fired up, you know, uh, the, uh, and all that stuff. And they talk about this, and they've got facts, and they've got wisdom. But what they all lack is the vision through the Word of God that shows you and gives you the understanding of what's really going on. If you got Bill O'Reilly and this guy here and this guy here and all the conservative commentators in one room, and got them to sit down and get up to try to explain to them that what is really happening is not a right-wing conspiracy or a left-wing conspiracy. But what really is happening is we are approaching the tribulation period and the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ and God establishing. And Isaiah says that all the nations of the earth are going to go in and do this and do this and run him down the verses. They look at you like they were nu- you were nuts. You know why? They've got knowledge and they've got wisdom. But if you want understanding, you've got to put these glasses on here. These glasses show you what really is going on, not just what appears to be going on. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that our lives, you know, when you get into the Word of God, you, uh, you really begin to see all of the things and understand all of the things that are really happening out there in the world. All right, now today, I, and there's so much in here, and you're going to see how this all ties together, but let's begin reading here where we left off last week in Romans chapter... Uh, uh, five, and we're going to pick it up here in verse six. It says, For for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure uh, for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, We shall be saved from the wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only so but we also joy in God through our our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement wherefore remember that word wherefore and I showed you last couple of times because of what we just read wherefore This is a continuation and it gives you more information. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for the time we have today to study your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom and insight into the things that we have, and, Lord, give us understanding. Lord, that's the thing that we need. We need God to show us what's really going on, not only in the world, but in our own lives, in our own world. And Lord, we pray today that you'll help us and help us to see and understand the great truths of this book, how they unmask the things that aren't really real and show us the reality of life, not only in the world, as I said, but in our own lives too. Help us, Father. Help us to learn the great truths in these passages today. Lord, there's so much in here. It's so rich. It's so hard, Lord, just to try to get all of this laid out. Pray you'll bless this week. Pray you'll bless next week as we go to Joplin as the young men preach and the, and the young people, Lord, and the moms and dads just uh, meet people that love God and love the Word of God and fellowship around them, Lord. And just pray you'll give us a good time there and bring us back safe and take us down safely. And then, Lord, as we come back next week and Bible study and the mission tonight and all that we have that we're trying to endeavor to do for thee, pray your blessings upon it. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, you remember a couple of months ago, I gave you basically 12 major Bible doctrines. And I gave you what they were. We talked about the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of redemption, the doctrine of propitiation, the doctrine of remission, the doctrine of expartation, the doctrine of imputation, the doctrine of regeneration, doctrine of reconciliation, doctrine of spiritual circumcision, the doctrine of your spiritual and physical adoption in Christ. Doctrine of sanctification and, of course, the doctrine of glorification. Back then, I gave you what they were and gave you the definitions of them, and I told you how that <coughs> the book of Romans is built around these 12 fundamental Bible doctrines that in time in your life, you need to understand what they are and what they mean. At some point in your life, you need to be able to, <coughs> uh, you know, verbatim lay these out and, and, and explain these that, that everybody <coughs> in your own life, you know them, and you can lay them out to somebody else. Now, I want you to look at verse 6 here as we start, and you're going to see some of these doctrines intertwining here as we've already seen through the book of Romans because Romans is built around these 12. But look at verse 6. Let's start with where we started reading here, and it says this. For we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, there's a lot of verses in chapter 5 that what I call must-have verses. In other words, you need to learn these verses. You need to memorize these verses. These verses will not only help you in your own life, but they'll help you when you're working with people when you win somebody to Christ or you're witnessing somebody about them being lost this is an incredible verse it really shows the state that we were in and what God has done for us and we're going to detail it out here in just a second but this is a great verse. for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly now let's look at this verse and we're going to try to take all these verses and we'll see how far we we get today now this is a great concept as I said especially dealing with people Uh, this truth, as in all Bible truths, goes against all the teaching of the world system today uh, and also goes against the teaching of most churches. But, you know, what are you going to do? Now, what it starts out saying is this. An unsaved man or an unsaved woman has no strength within themselves to change their life. You're going to find people who are, are good people who maybe get involved in alcohol, they get involved in drugs, they get involved in something in their lives, and what happens is this: they want to change their lives they wanna they want to be different they don't want to be bound to what they're bound to in their life but the truth of the matter is they have no strength to change anything about themselves a man or a woman without Christ is bound by their sin and cannot break any stronghold on him let me give you an example now and this is certainly not a criticism because uh, but we take the situation with a group called Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm not criticizing them I think they do a lot of good work so please don't misunderstand me I've, I've actually had people that I put into Alcoholics Anonymous I went through the classes myself as I did uh, Narcotics Anonymous even though I don't never never use drugs and I've never drank I wanted to understand the program so I'm not speaking out of turn here I've been through both programs I I took 12 steps and you know and in both cases you know And uh, I I can appreciate it for what it is, and I think that they're a good organization. And I'm certainly not bad-mouthing them in any way, shape, or form, so please don't think that. But here's here's the downfall of it. Here's the bottom line. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they teach this. They teach that if you're an alcoholic and you uh, go to Alcoholics Anonymous, they teach you that you're always going to be an alcoholic. They'll tell you that you may be dry for 40 years but the bottom line is you got to keep in your mind that you are still an alcoholic now I know why they do that I know why they do that because they want to instill in that person that once you get off the wagon you can't ever go around it again you can't be around the booze you know the very smelling of it will will drive you back or if you you go you just their thing is if you just have one you know that you're off the wagon and most of the time that's true so they go through their whole lives and they'll 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 get up and they'll give their little testimonies and they'll talk about the fact that that they're a re- re- recovering alcoholic and you know and they'll they'll put the emphasis on that that you're always the rest of your life you're going to be an alcoholic and you better, better deal with it so you can't ever be around it you can't ever associate with it you can't ever have anything to do with it in any shape or form whatsoever because of the fact the moment you do if you're still an alcoholic in your mind you're going to fall back off the wagon now that's their philosophy and i'm not i'm not arguing with it i'm just saying the bible takes the other position you see the bible says when you get saved old things are passed away and all things become new the difference between alcoholics anonymous that says you're always an alcoholic therefore you have to be careful where the Bible says that once you get saved, you're no longer an alcoholic, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, and you don't, it doesn't matter now if you're around it the rest of your life, 24-7, or somebody, you run into a brewery truck, rear end of brewery truck at a railroad crossing, and all the beer spluffed up inside your car, and you automatically get drunk from the smell. It doesn't mean anything. You know why? Because the new person about you you see, where the alcoholic anonymous guy, he walks around being afraid of it, saying, "Well, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I can't, you know, I can't, and, and I can't, you know." And I've actually, I've actually had Christians that went places that were afraid to tell people they were Christians, and when somebody offered them a drink, their way out. Because everybody feels sorry for a recovering alcoholic. They would the guy would come up and say, Hey, would you like the beer? And instead of the guy saying, No, I'm a child of God, I don't drink, he says, No, I'm a recovering alcoholic, you know, I I can't be around the stuff. And the guy says, Oh, well that's okay. You know what? I right. want some orange juice, you know, you know, whatever. And but the truth of the matter is you gotta say, no, I don't want one. I I'm a born-again Christian, I don't need that. I got the word of God, you know, and I get my high from that, you get your buzz from that, I get my buzz from this. And sometimes you want to come down and compare buzzes, come on over and sit down and I'll help you through the thing, you know. But most people can't do that because they're ashamed you see they don't have the hope that like we talked about earlier anyway I'm not sure what they had to do with anything that I'm saying today but I just thought I'd throw that in there <laughs> but but a but a but a guide in alcoholics anonymous he's always got to be afraid of the thing because of the fact that that he in his mind he's a recovering alcoholic and once an alcoholic always an alcoholic the Bible says once you get saved you're no longer an alcoholic and after three or four years maybe six months eight months as you grow in the Word of God You know what? You don't have to be afraid of being back in that scenario where you go to a wedding and maybe somebody's drinking or or you're around your friends and they drink. You know why? Because at that point, you just look back and you see how stupid it really was to begin with. Why? Because you've got understanding now, see? You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. God took that out of your life and then he gave you something better, see? And I think that's a problem that a lot of pastors have with, with, with their people. They stand up in the pulpit and they yell about all the things you ought to get out of your life. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't get some things out of their lives. But what the downfall is, they don't ever replace in that person's life what they're trying to take out. And around here, I'll tell you to give up the world and I'll give you something ten times better. I'll give you a pair of glasses and you can see who the aliens are sitting next to you today. See? no the bible gives you the insight and the understanding that that you're not you're not still you're not still an alcoholic you now are a new creature in christ jesus and now you have the strength you have the strength to overcome any issue in your life we've talked about drug addiction and alcoholism but in anything in your life doesn't matter what it is you now have the strength to overcome and get out of whatever you couldn't get out of before. You know why? Because Christ and the Word of God makes the difference. And an absolute and an unsaved man has absolutely no strength, absolutely no strength. Now, there's three great examples of this in the Bible in the New Testament. And I want to kind of walk these through with you very quickly, but they they show you a great concept. Now, we've got a lot of younger kids in here, and I say younger, you and your late teens or twenties and probably some of you may be in your sixteen or seventeen you're in your you're, you're a younger person then we have some that that are middle age and then we have some that are older people that are in their senior citizen age and uh yes when i go to grocery store i do go on tuesday because senior citizens do get a discount there and i i gave it up you know i'll tell you what one of the reasons that i almost didn't go back to joplin this year and some of you guys were there witness with me when we stopped at that Hardy's on the way home. Remember that? Yeah, what are you laughing at, Jimmy? You were right there with me. We stopped to get something to eat on the way home, walked into a Hardy's back there, and, uh, and walked up. Sweet little girl, sweet little girl. She didn't look quite as nice when I punched her front teeth out, but she's a sweet little girl. And I walk up, you know, and we order our food, and she says, she looks at me, and she says, and, I, and the bill wasn't right. And I said, well, you didn't charge me enough. She said, no, oh, no, you get a senior citizen discount. I said I want to talk to the manager <laughs> we're gonna get you fired girl <clears throat> I'm waiting to give senior citizens discount at the gas station is what I'm waiting for I think. then I'll be hundred and five man I'll get as much as I can get out of it and, you know I've gotten past that that was rough for me but I'm at the place now where I'll take it wherever I can get it you know what I'm saying I mean, like old Bob Jones seems to say, if the devil's going your way, ride him. You know, I'm just, you know, that's where I'm at with it. I just, you know what, we go to the grocery store on Tuesday, we get 10% off the groceries. I eat places where they, you know, and I have even wear- I even got a pair of them gym shoes with the big Velcro straps on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't wear them out when I know people, but if I'm going where I want to get ahead and get a break, I got them on, man. I got them on bar behind me carrying a shuffleboard stick you know <laughs> but we got all kinds in here now let me show you a great great concept here and you need to grasp this. now in the Bible when you find a person that's dead uh, sometimes in the Old Testament but many times in Matthew Mark Luke and John when you find a person that is dead physically that is always going to be a picture of an unsaved person see? and when Christ or whoever raises them from the dead it's a picture of that person getting saved and coming into the newness of life because here's the concept if you're here this morning and you're unsaved whether you know it or not you're a dead man or a dead woman you're dead in the trespasses of sin see? you may be walking around but spiritually you're dead and so in the Bible dead people Are likened to unsaved people and when Christ raised them from the dead or back in the Old Testament one of the prophets did or when Paul did in the book of Acts when they raised them from the dead it's a picture of an unsaved person getting saved and coming from the deadness of the sin into the newness of life in Christ Jesus you see that's what is a picture of now in your Bible in 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 Matthew Mark Luke and John you have three people who were dead people and got resurrected. And he illustrates the point that I'm trying to tell you here, that as an unsaved person, you don't, have, you don't have any strength of your own to overcome anything you've got to hold on you in this life. In fact, the older you get, the worse it gets. And you've all been around people, you know, that were one way when they were 30, and they get 40, and they get 50, and they get 60, and they get 70. And the older they get, the more erratic they become, the more, the, the, you know, they get, they, get, they get worse as they go on. I mean, that's just the way we are. We get set in our ways. We get cynical. Stuff sets in, you know. Like the old song says, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, man. I mean, that's just the way it is. But in Mark chapter 5, verse 40, your first story. You have a girl that the Bible clearly tells you that she's 12 years old, and she dies. And Jesus comes in, and now she's a picture of, a, of somebody that's in their teens, like some of you young kids, you know, maybe just past your teens. Some of you maybe, you know, she's a, he, she's a picture of some of you guys and some of you gals here today that, uh, you know, she was 12 years old, and she's dead. When Jesus comes in and he resurrects her from the dead, if you, it's a picture of, of a young person getting saved. And when she gets life, the Bible says she sits up and she speaks, but she needs a little help to walk. See? Now keep that in your mind here. We're going to go to the next one, then we're going to come back, and I'll show you how this thing works. Luke chapter 17, verses 14 and 15 is your second example. Now here's a man where it doesn't really tell you how old he is, but he's probably in his twenties or his thirties. And uh, in the Bible, when it calls somebody a young man, that can go all the way up to, if you know your Bible, that can go up to a guy that's 40 years old or 30 years old. Now he's dead. He's dead. And when when he gets raised from the dead, picture of somebody getting saved, the Bible says, the Bible says that 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 he 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 speaks. But he needs help to walk. I, I gave it a wrong one. When the little girl who was twelve years old, when she got saved, she got right up and walked and they gave her meat. I'm sorry. This guy, I got my nose crossed on. This guy here, when he get life and he sped up and speaks, but he needs help to walk. So you got one little gal that's 12 years old, and when she gets saved, or she gets risen to life and gets life, she goes on her way, and the Bible says they give her meat. When this guy, 20 or 30, gets saved, gets raised to newness of life, he sets up and speaks, but he needs help to walk. Now watch this, John chapter 11, here's your third one. Now we have the story of a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus is clearly, although the Bible doesn't tell you how old he is, he's clearly an older gentleman. And uh, you can tell that by his sandals had Velcro straps on him too. Anyway, he's probably 80, 90, maybe 75, 80, 90 years old. And he died. And when God brings him back to life. The Bible says in verse 44. And he that was dead came forth. And the Bible says he was bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And in chapter 11 verse 44. The Bible says Jesus said. He says loose him and let him go. Now stay with me. You got a young 12 year old. Now keep in mind now. Dead people in the Bible are a picture of unsaved people. When they get resurrected to life, it's a picture of the day you got saved. You see, the 12-year-old, when she was dead, they brought her back to life. She's up and moving, and they gave her meat. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of some of you young people who haven't gotten caught up in all of the world of sin yet. And when you get saved, you're up and ready to move. Now, this is why the devil attacks our young people today. This is why if you went out to John Knox Village and you walked down through them halls at 12 o'clock at night or 10.30 or 11.30 and you just walked down very quietly, you wouldn't hear any Led Zeppelin coming out from under the room doors. You wouldn't hear any... I don't think there's ever... I have to check my facts. I don't think there has ever been a drug bust at John Knox Village. You don't see the SWAT team sneaking down the halls, you know, kicking in the door and some old four or five old folks in there, you know, pumping on a joint, you know, saying, oh, we're busted, with my teeth? <laughs> you know, doesn't happen. You know, when they arrest you, when you're in your 20s or 30s, you say, can I get my jacket? When you're that old, you say, may I get my teeth? <laughs> you know, but anyway, it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. No, 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 no. Now, you might hear a little boxcar Willie or Grand Ole Opry coming out from under the door, but you're not going to, why? Because the devil's not after them. They're not after them. devil's after you. You know why? Because he knows that if God gets you young enough and you give it over to God young enough and quick enough that you can get on your way and all we got to do is give you meat. Anybody want to tell me what meat is in the Bible? Doctrine. See? Now you got the guy that's in his 20s and 30s. He's been around a little longer. He's had some more experiences in life he's been a little farther away from God a little bit farther down the road and he gets saved but he has to have somebody help him walk you know why because the longer you mess with sin the more help you have to have to get straightened out and go down life's road that's why now we come to Lazarus he's 80 years old or somewhere in there boy you know what when God called him forth when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, let me. you all know why Jesus was particular in this. I had a question asked me one time uh, in a Bible study years ago, why, why Jesus called him by name. And there's a great theology behind it because Jesus, if you study the Bible, there was never death in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime he showed up and a person was dead, they came back to life. You know what that's a picture of? But there's an eternal life everywhere he goes. And the reason why Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, instead of just saying, come forth. He just said, come forth. Everybody in the graveyard would have got up and come. He was specific. He said, Lazarus, come forth. But when Lazarus comes up, he's like a mummy. He's tied the grave clothes. You know what grave clothes are a picture of? They're a picture of your sin. And the longer you live, the more you wrap yourself up in those things. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a threefold cord is not easily broken. You take a little piece of thread, just a little piece of thread that your wife uses in sewing. You take that little piece of thread and you wrap it around your finger one time and you can break that. You take that same piece of thread and that thread will be whatever your sin is in your life. And you wrap that around you a hundred times, you will die in your death trying to break that thread wrapped around your fingers more than five or six times why because that's what sin does to you sin binds you and it grinds you and it brings you into submissive to it and you can't get out of it on your own and the only person who can get you out of it is the lord jesus christ when he saves you and the bible says when he said lazarus he said let him loose him and let him go But it took somebody unwinding every one of those gauze strips unwinding him to get him free the older you get the more you bind yourself to your sin the harder it is to get it off and get saved when it's time to get saved and the Bible says it's past time for some of you behold boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth your day for salvation is today and the longer you wait (laughs) The longer you wait, the more you put it off, the more you bind yourself. And one of these days, hey, you ain't going to get saved. Not because God can't save you. Not because God won't save you. Because you have wrapped yourself like Lazarus in so many things of this world that you can't get loose from it. An unsaved man has no strength to unbreak those tentacles of sin. He has no strength. He can't do it on his own. And that's why when you get saved and i taught you this lesson and we use it all the time in counseling now when you got saved seven things changed about you that broke the shackles or gave you the ability to break the shackles of sin in your life the longer you wait the harder it gets the more you get wrapped up in this world the longer it takes to unwrap you just that simple now a saved person once he gets saved he has the strength you see But he doesn't know how to use it yet you realize that if you're saved this morning inside you and i know you probably never thought of this but it's true if you're saved this morning inside you no matter what your spiritual condition is inside you is all the power that god had and used and is when he created all of the universe in genesis chapter 1 verse 1. The moment you got saved, that got deposited in you. You know what the problem is? You don't know how to channel it. You don't know how to use it. It's laying dormant. You need somebody to kind of take the caps off and make the mixture right and get you going. You ever see a rocket go off it? I I was watching this, this the other day, and I love this movie. It was the right stuff, you know. I mean, it's just, uh, I remember when I saw it when I first came out. I mean, that end scene, brother, when, uh, this guy's my hero anyhow, you know. The, uh, 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 Huh? Who? No, the guy that uh, was, he portrayed, the, the test pilot, that broke the barrier Chuck Yeager, Chuck Yeager, yeah, Chuck Yeager. At the end of that movie, when Chuck Yeager... Bailed out of that F 111, which was a real antsy plane, anyhow. And he, he comes down through that thing, and it shows him on fire burning, you know, and he finally, and the plane crashes, you know, and they're coming across the field with the sirens going, you know, and it sums up exactly what the movie is. And uh, you, you gotta see, and they're driving across there, and they, they thought he's all dead, you know, because he was like 40,000 feet in the air when they went out of control. And so he he drops like 30,000 feet, and party opens his chute, and, and they're driving across the desert, and uh, the guy says, uh, he says uh, what's that? Is, that is that a man and in his partner bud was his partner they flew p51 together in europe they was he was a he was wingman all through their life his partner looks up and you know the movie music starts to come I'm getting goose pimples just talking about the the music starts to come up and he looked out and he says, and the guy says, is that hey look is that a man and he says it sure is you know and here he comes Face all burned, carrying his chute, walking with that cocky attitude like, where's the next plane? I want to run into the ground too, you know. But in that movie, it shows them America struggling with getting its rockets off, you know. And I love that part. First one goes, you know. One goes up, and they're all there going. It blows up. One One goes, and it blows up, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, Rod, Robert Goddard was the father of modern-day rocketry. He started it back in the, really around the turn of the century. And the problem that they had with rockets, why they're all blowing up? Because I don't know if you know it or not, you have two volatile substances in a rocket. You have liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen. Now you put those two together, and you got Armageddon. It just blows everything sky high. The two cannot be mixed together without exploding. Now the problem was they put all the liquid hydrogen in one tank and all the liquid oxygen in another tank, and then you got two little—I'm oversimplifying this—you got two little hoses that come down here. One squirts out liquid oxygen. One squirts out liquid hydrogen. And when they squirt out together, it blows up a combustion and it lifts the rocket off. Now the key is obviously getting getting the right mixture that it guides you up instead of blowing you out you know what i'm saying and it took them a while to get that done but when you watch a rocket take off you know what you've got you've got the most horrendous absolutely incredible power strength that you have ever seen in your life and two components but together they cannot work together but they do a liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen when you put them together they explode but when you put them together and channel it and control it and put it in the right context it pushes it up, and that rocket can leave this earth, get on past this world, and get out into outer space. Now, that's the problem with a young Christian. You got the power of God in you. I mean, <clears throat> when, if the rapture would take place right now and you'd lose this physical body, you know why you'd be out of here faster than a speeding bullet? is because your glorified body is the, is the hydrogen aspect and your flesh is the oxygen aspect. And once that thing got free, you'd be out of here so fast. I mean, that's why it's a twinkling of an eye. It's, but right now, it's encased in you, and it's you've got to channel it. That's why when I see a Christian fizzle out, I think it writes stuff. How many Christians I've seen? Boy, the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, whoops, rattled ground, smoke shaking, fire coming out, standing on a launching pad. All my life, I've seen Christians like that. You start off with a blast, but you go out in a bang. I've seen Christians like this: ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. What we're looking for in a Christian is the right mixture of—I'm going to say gas—and <laughs> that won't work. <coughs> what we're looking for in a Christian is the right combination of God's strength and God's power channeled through the Word of God channeled through the local church channeled through somebody older helping you in ministry that is a rocket expert who gets the right amount of this and the right amount of that and when you finally blast off you run straight hot and true and you get everything done that God wants you to do that's what it takes That's the difference between somebody who has no strength and a Christian that gets saved and then lets somebody channel the strength to get him where God wants him to go or her. And that's how you do it. You have within you the power, if you're saved, that God used to create the universe. Now look at verse 6. Look at the middle of the verse here. Another great concept. There's so many here. For when we were yet without strength, And then here's the phrase, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to look at that phrase, in due time. That's one of the single greatest little key things anywhere in the Bible. You ever notice how God keeps making a reference to time in the Bible? Everything in the Bible is on a timetable. You know, when you really understand your Bible, and I've told you this before, when you really understand your Bible, you realize that you have Genesis and Revelation. On this side of Genesis you have eternity past on this side of Revelation you have eternity future kind of like God put a big parentheses in eternity and from Genesis to Revelation he put a concept of time and that concept of time runs about 7,000 years and when you understand that simple basic concept of the Bible you begin to realize the great truth that God is on a timetable we live in our lives like God is going to be this is going to go on forever It's not going to go on forever. He said in due time, everything in the Bible runs a timetable. You're going to find that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, John said when he's talking about the coming of Christ, he says the time is at hand. Revelation chapter 11 talks about the great white throne judgment. It says the time of the dead. The tribulation period is referenced as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus himself said when he was asked about his crucifixion, he says, mine hour, that's a time concept, is not yet come. Bible talks about in the book of Acts, the times of refreshing. Bible talks about in the book of Matthew, the times of the Gentiles. The Bible talks in, all throughout the Bible, it talks about the times and the seasons. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And in Revelation chapter 12, it's talking about time, times, plural, and half a time. God's running on a timetable. He's running on a timetable. Do you know what in your life, and I don't know why that's so hard for some people to grasp. Do you know what our point of reality is in life? It's what time is it? Well, I go a little long, and some of you are saying, boy, what time is it? Man, it's 3 o'clock. He's really going long today. Somebody says, somebody says, well, what are we doing tonight, honey? Well, we're going over to so-and-so. Oh, really? What time do we got to be there? You said, we want you guys to come over for dinner. Why don't you come over about 6 o'clock? Time. Well, I'm going to watch the chiefs. What time do they start? See? Everything's relative. To our point of reference in everything in life is time. It isn't a person. It isn't a place. It's what time do I need to be there? What time does it start? And the question that, that we ask ourselves, the question we ask ourselves is, what time is it? Now, I can take just one baby step forward and give you a big concept about something that might fill in some pieces if you want me to right now, or I can move right on with a message. Which would you like? Who want me to give the big piece? Raise your hand? Oh two of you. OK, well, we'll just move on then with a the message. I'll give it to you maybe Thursday night. It, 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 it's an incredible concept, but anyway, never mind about that. Now The devil has a plan you know what that plan is i heard an old preacher say this years and years ago when the devil found out what god was going to do sometime after genesis chapter 1 verse 1 they called a meeting i'm not sure where the meeting was but i know what the meeting was about the angel bible says the devil took a third of the angels with him and they called a meeting together and they wanted to come up with the idea of how are we going to stop God's plan and how are we going to stop Israel in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, and how are we going to short-circuit God's plan. And they went into a huddle session, a think tank, so to speak. And one demon came up and he said, I got a great idea. He says, what's that? He says, let's get everybody to let's start propagating the idea that there's, no, that there's no God. Let's just tell everybody that God doesn't exist. And all the demons around yelled and screamed and said well, that's a great idea and a devil thought for a minute. he said no that won't work he said because we got more to contend with in the Bible the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God we might be able to take the Bible away but we can't take the heavens away I don't think they'll buy that somebody else said well I got an idea I was thinking about this just a while ago he said what's that he says why don't we just get everybody to believe there's no hell then they won't have nothing to preach the devil thought about that for a moment he said you know what that ain't gonna work either you know Jesus himself spoke almost 18 times in one book in the New Testament about hell I don't know how we're gonna get around that somebody else thought and he said you know what I got a great idea let's let's tell everybody there ain't no place called heaven devil said thought about that for a minute he said you know what I like that but human nature is just drawn to, to a place that God would prepare. And he said, you know what? There's so much in the Bible about heaven. There's so much in the fact. And they said, well, what are we going to do with the fact that when Jesus leads captivity captive, where are we going to say he went? Topeka? I mean, he, he, I mean it, that ain't going to work. And they thought for a little longer, and the devil said, now, come on, guys, think, 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 think. We can't get them to believe that there is no God. We can't get them to believe that there is no heaven. And we can't get them to believe that there ain't no hell. I got it. Let's just get everybody to believe, saved or unsaved, that there ain't no hurry. They got all the time in the world. Let's just get all of mankind to forget about God's timetable and get them to think, save people and unsaved people, that they're going to live forever. And there's no urgency, there's no hurry. And we 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 don't we can get that old story out and people will buy into it and they'll come around and they'll live their lives just like they're. and you know how I know that story is true in some form or fashion because that's exactly what God's people believe today they don't think there's any hurry we got our own agendas we got our own plan we got our own careers we got what we want to do and God really doesn't figure into it we are told to rejoice in the coming and the glory of Christ and our tribulation and that rejoicing in the coming of the glory of christ depends on us understanding the timetable or what point is there to it and as i said you're asking your wife and asking your husband and asking your kids when they want to go someplace what time do we got to be there what time is it in america and i say to you as a child of god you had to get in that bible and get the right glasses on and you got to find out what time it is with god because it's later than you think You know, in your Bible, God gave you five different ways to not lose your focus about time. Running throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, found in Second Peter chapter three, verse eight, he gave you a day system. In Mark chapter thirteen, verse thirty five, dealing with the New Testament, he gave you a watch system which runs into four watches in Exodus chapter 19 Hosea 6 and Mark chapter 14 he gave you another day system but this one is a three-day system and if that wasn't enough and you couldn't get it close enough there in Matthew chapter 20 he breaks it down and gives you an hour system he shows you right now what hour you're in in relationship to the sand going through God's hourglass or when the coming of Christ comes in now what are you going to do with that I'll tell you what you're going to do you're going to still think there's no hurry If that wasn't enough, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says to the Christians, he says, what a statement, of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I have to write unto you. Oh, my goodness. The Bible says that our life is is like a pattern. It's like a season. The Bible's like a season. Genesis is springtime. Summer and fall run through the Bible, and winter's Revelation. Your life is just like that. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungod, in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the scornful. but here's the light in the law of the Lord, and in this law do they meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. You have a season to your life. When you were born, it was springtime. That's when you were springy. That's when you're like the little 12 year old girl. You grow up, you stay young, and you stay viable. And that's why, that's why this, I, I'm so, and don't take this wrong, you older folks, because I'm in that group with you. But that's why I get so excited about all the young folks we have here. Most churches are all 50 or old, 60 or older. The majority of our church is young couples, young singles, that really have the freshness. You're still in your springtime, so to speak. You're there at the point in your life where you can really do something for God. I'm phasing out of mine. So we've got to transfer over. We've got to get what I've got in this computer into your computer. Because someday you guys are going to have to. If the Lord doesn't carry His coming. You guys are going to have to pick up the ball and run with it. And when you understand that and you realize that, you realize that that's why it's so exciting that I will give any young man and young lady that really, I mean, I'll give anybody. But, I mean, I get excited about young men and young ladies who really want to do what's right with God because I know you're in the springtime. All I've got to give you is meat you'll run with it. I don't have to unwrap much in your life. I don't have to spend the time cutting off the gauze. Though I'll do that, and that's what the job is, and I'm glad to do that. But the bottom line is, the longer you, i say it again, the longer you wait to get saved, the more problems you have. I know the longer it takes. Bringeth forth his fruit in this season. You know why people like the Farmer's Armanac? There are people that swear by the Farmer's Armanac. They swear by it because the farmer's almanac was put out by a bunch of farmers who believed God in the King James Bible two, three hundred years ago, and they formulated the way they could do the plot with what they learned in the Bible. That's all that it is. If you don't know that, that's where it started. Because they understood the concept of the times and the seasons. We don't today. Some of you here, bless your heart, and you're in the springtime of your life. Some of you here in your summer of your life. Some of you moving into the fall of your life. Some of you in the winter of your life. Well, sooner or later, ladies and gentlemen, You need to be relative that God's time is going to run out and your season is going to be over there has never been an apple tree never been a peach tree never been a cherry tree up here in the northern latitude anyhow that ever brought forth fruit in February you have a time to your fruit bearing when your time is over it's over in due time Christ died for the ungodly all right now look at verse 7 this is another great verse now this is another must-have verse you need to get this memorized too look at verse 7 For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a great verse. What a great verse. You know, I think one of the things that makes any society a good society and shows you the quality of people that it has is the acts of bravery. One of the things that I enjoy about studying military history and the history of nations connected with the Word of God, one of the things that has intrigued me down through there is the unselfish acts of bravery that I've read about. There's a book out that everybody ought to have if you're a guy anyhow, and um, especially if you're ever going to really do anything with God. It had nothing to do with the Bible. You know, most of the great books that really forge your character to be a good Christian, a lot of them are written by unsaved people. You know that? this book is i a, a book of all the medal of honor winners that won the medal of honor from the civil war right up to the time that we live now and it gives a detailed account of how each man won that medal of honor you know the medal of honor being the highest award our nation can give a person and it usually is given posthumously it means after you're dead and the medal of honor is the highest award that this nation can give and i think one of the tragedies of young men and young ladies and even moms and dads is to go through life and not understand the great sacrifices that were made for you and I to be here today. I have a friend of mine I have a friend of mine that uh, was with the uh, 82nd Airborne. He jumped into Normandy. And I don't know him very well, but I've talked with him on a number of occasions. And he's a funny guy. He's up at almost 90 now. Just as sharp as a tack. And he told me the story that every year they go back to Normandy to to revisit the Normandy uh, uh, beachhead, you know, and commemorate on, on the anniversary of Normandy. And uh, he told me this story. We were talking about p- world politics, you know, and what was going on. And he, he didn't like the French at all. He just had a tough time with the French. And uh, he's telling me, he said, you know what, he said, he says, about 10 years ago, I went back to the Normandy invasion for the, for the anniversary of it. And he said I was going through customs. And he said, uh, you know what, you know, he's an older guy. And he said, I had stuck my passport in my flight bag and uh i'm walking through the, the customs and a french you know guy there is taking the passports and i walk in there and he says and i just wasn't thinking he said i had a long flight i was tired he says he walks in there and the guy says do you have a passport you know a little snippy he says, oh yes sir i have a passport and uh he's reaching down through there you know and he couldn't find it for a minute you know and the guy is obviously perturbed you know and he's you know lying behind him and this old boy finally finds he says, here it is he says you americans did you actually think as an american you can come into this country without a passport and my old boy, he got ticked at that point. I mean, you, you know, he's, he's a nice guy. You back him in a corner, he'll bite you. He looked at that guy who was probably in his 20s or his 30s, and he said, well, I'm sorry, pal. He said, but the last time I was here, I he said, I didn't need a passport. And he says, oh, when did you come to this p- country and not need a passport? He says, I was in the first wave to land in Normandy. I jumped in 12 hours before everybody else. I didn't need a passport then. And by the way, I didn't see any Frenchmen around either. <laughs> now, that's my kind of guy. See? That's my kind of guy. Now, I love that kind of guy. See? I mean, he just stuck it to it. But there have been some, you got to read it. There are some great things. I think of a Marine back in Vietnam by the name of Private Johnson. And Private Johnson was in a foxhole with eight or nine of his buddies, and a Viet Cong threw a hand grenade in. And all boys would have been killed in there, certainly maimed. You know what Private Johnson did? He jumped on that grenade, pulled it up underneath of him, and it blew up and killed him, and his other boys lived. He got the Medal of Honor for it. Got the better line for it. I think great acts of heroism. Kevin Schultz, police officer out in New Mexico, good man, loved the Lord, saved man on a canoe trip. I'm gonna get the story right on a canoe trip out there, wasn't he? Or a camping trip? Somebody and somebody fell in and drowned, and he went in and rescued him, and then he had a heart attack and drowned in the thing, couldn't get out, but got the person out. Great acts of heroism. Great acts of heroism. Uh, My my worst nightmare, and I I, I think about it all the time, I saw saw a picture in 911 when when the buildings were burning and the people were coming down, and and, and one one guy was taking pictures of those firemen that were walking up the steps where everybody else was walking out. Now, you know why I took guts? I took guts. The thing that bothers me is the look on their face where they know they're walking into their own death, but that's their job, and they're going to do their job. I got a lot of respect for somebody like that that's the kind of people I like to have in my church I mean I always thought and I've always been drawn to military men and police officers and guys like that just because of the fact that that that, those you get those people saved, you get those guys or gals saved and right with God and doing what the right thing is or military guys there's something about them they've got the discipline in them that they will get it done when nobody else can get it done I think it's great I think it's great you know, that verse is saying that some people would and some people do die for a good person. Not very often. Some people choose to give up their life to die for a good person and a good cause. I've thought about many, many times in all the places that I've been in the world. I've been in some bad situations when I had 20, 30 people with me. I've often thought, you know, uh, when we were in the Philippines uh, one time a number of years ago, I had like 30, 40 people with me. And I was warned by the State Department not to go in before we went in because of the fact that uh, you know, that there was an impending uh, uh, uprival, overthrow of the government, and we didn't, we didn't want to get trapped in it. But you know what? I didn't know what to do. We all had the thing planned, Christians and churches, and I figured, hey, God, you know what? You're the God of the revolution. You can get us in, get us out. So we went anyhow. We no longer got wheels up coming back, and the next day all the rebels come over and threw that thing into turmoil. I've been in Romania, boy. I've been in Russia. I've been in those places where, you know what, it, it, that... Uh, that I've often wondered what happens. I've been in El Salvador when in the middle of the war down there where you got stopped and held up at gunpoint I always said to myself what would happen what would I do if I had to if somebody was down here and got hurt and everybody had to get out how could I leave that person I'll be honest with you I wouldn't leave you if we were on a ship someplace and we were ship was sinking and your legs were caught under a beam and nobody could get you out and I had forty other people with me I'd tell put somebody in charge take those forty people and I'd hey, hold your head above water as long as you could of course as soon as you're drowned I'm out of there I want you to know that I couldn't leave you I, I couldn't leave you what am I gonna say well I'll tell your mom and dad goodbye and uh, you know what anything I can do for you you know I'll, you know I'll, how do you do that? You, do that you can't do that can't do that you got to be the, when you're in a leader you got to be the first one on the ground and your last one off it's that simple It's that simple some of you don't get that show me the last one to show up and the first one to leave can't be a leader that way a leaders the first boots on the ground and the last boots off That's the way it is and, of course, I respect guys like that. The Bible says that there are people and who would and do die for a good person or a good cause. But let me ask you, Would you? and maybe some of you would. But would you, let me ask you this. Would you die for your worst enemy? Think of your worst enemy right now. Now, don't look at your husband or your wife. You'll give yourself away. <laughs> would you die for your worst enemy? Would you? I mean, you know what? There's some despicable people in, 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 in the world, I think. I mean, I think of a guy, a guy, Scott Peterson, killed his little wife, Lacey, you know. Then baby, found her body washed up, sharks that eat her, you know, and everything like that. And, and everybody knows he killed her. Denied her right to the end. Would you die for a guy like Scott Peterson today if you had to? I'll tell you another guy that I have a tough time with, O.J. Simpson. I mean, I just, you know, the irony of his life is incredible. But you know what? I, yeah, yeah, but you know what? Would you, would you, would you die for him? A couple of years back in Kansas City, oh, it's been probably four or five years now. Remember that little sweetheart, little black girl, Precious Doe? Where they found a little decapitated body down there. Most of you got kids that old right now. Let me ask you a question: if That was your child, and they found the guy that did it, and that guy was on death row, and that guy got exactly what he deserved for killing your little girl, killing your little boy, decapitating them, probably violating them sexually. Would you walk into the executioner and say, "Let me sit in his chair instead of him and let him go free"? Would you? Would you? Would I? How about that mother down in South someplace that drowned all four of her little kids in a bathtub? I read last week in the paper about the murder little alley camp over there from Overland Park. Remember the guy abducted her over there in the Target parking lot, took her out there and raped her and killed her over there in by Longview Lake? What a tragedy. How about if he got the death sentence? have within you what I have within me to walk into the judge and say let me take his place you see in our minds we get the idea that there's big sinners and there's little sinners but you know the truth of the matter is it's all sinners Bible says but God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners Christ died for us you were God's worst enemy I was God's worst enemy and you know what God died for you and for me that thing works incredible Incredible. We get such a mindset about things. We think that there's really bad sinners and then there's good sinners. Let me tell you something. Every sinner is just a filth and a scourge of this world. We get the idea that so- society produces crime. You know, no personal responsibility. That these guys that do all these things because they didn't have enough education. Or you know guy said well, one time. He said, "Well, how do you become a serial killer?" Because when I was a kid growing up, we never had any cereal, and all we had was just mush. So I woke up. Being a serial killer, we think the problem's society, more education, more programs. In reality, it's our old sin nature. You know what inside you this morning, saved or unsaved? You have within inside you this morning, and I have inside of me to be the most merciless, brutal serial murder killer, rapist slash killer, dag stagger killer, murderer, man, woman, ever to hit this planet. You know that? You know what? You little know dim between you and them you got saved and some of you let God channel his strength through you some of them didn't get saved and they just let that thing run wild open and the longer it got the more they gave their flesh what it shouldn't have and pretty soon they woke up one day and they have given themselves and bathed themselves in unrighteousness But you know what the truth is God died for them just like he did for you you think God looked down and saw who was going to do right and who didn't do what's right and just died for you and didn't die for them he died for everybody that's an amazing thing But God commended His love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9, 10, 11, 12. It gets even better. Much more than, ah, see, even the Bible uses those things. Remember when you see the commercials on there about silly putty? Wait, there's more, you know. Well, God just give you this, and then He's going to say, much more than, wait, there's more, being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life not only so but we also join the God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. great verse, great passages you had to memorize verse 12 Verse 9 says, Saved from the wrath. Now that wrath, ladies and gentlemen, very quickly, that wrath is hell. It's separation from God. That's what He saved you from. Verse 10 says, For if then we were enemies, which you were, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, He gave His life for us, and by saving us, He wants us to give our life back to Him. That's how it works. That's how it works. Verse eleven says, "Receive the atonement." There's the doctrine of the atonement, one of the twelve that we got. And then look at verse twelve, a great verse. And this is a must-have verse. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. One of the greatest concepts, the child of God, is found in this verse. And I realize that what I'm about to give you is probably hard for most of you to get, probably unreachable for some of you. And I feel sorry for you, but maybe you'll come to a point in your life when you really can understand this verse. You ever notice how people like to blame God for the tragedies in life Do you ever see that I deal with it all the time parents lose a baby or a mom and dad or a brother or sister and they all ask why you know a young person gets killed and many times the friends uh, uh, feel like they were robbed because of the person was was uh, this or that and uh, you know that they're gone now and didn't have a chance to live their lives hey I understand all of that And people walk around and understand the question why, and I understand that. When I deal with somebody on that thing, I understand where they're coming from. I understand their grief, their heartache, and I try to bring them through systematically to try to get them to get where I'm at today. But, I mean, it takes a while, and I understand that. Patience, you see, patience, patience. Now there's a lot of reasons why something happens to people and I want you to listen to me on this remember a couple of weeks ago I guess it was I'll tell you one reason I'll tell you a a couple of weeks ago we were having Bible study and we all went out of Bible study and I had the road blocked off and the police was all out here and everything shut down everybody had to go the back way down here at the tool shed this is where Barbara and I eat after church on Sunday by the way (laughs) down here at the tool shed guy was in there having a good time I guess it was happy hour and then it became unhappy hour (laughs) and uh they threw him out went home and got a shotgun came in shot four people and of course the police are all over the place and then the ambulance coming down to help the people somebody pulled out in front of the ambulance dropped the ambulance off the road And it was turned over up there so they had to block out that off so here we are we're just dumb as pigs in mud in here you know and just having a good time and walk out there and you know the world's coming end, you know nine one one all over the place and here we are just oblivious to it and uh you know i uh it told me you couldn't get out this way so we had to go to the back so i i didn't know what happened so i walked down and I don't know who the police officer was, and he was a Kansas City guy. And uh, I walked down there and I said, "Hey, I said uh, I'm Bob Alexander. I'm pastor of church here. I said we had Bible study in here, and I said uh, is, can we not get out this way?'" And he said, "No, nah, pastor. He said they had a they had a shooting down there. He says four guys got shot down there at that bar. He said we're getting called down here all the time. He says you know they had to close that place, but he says what are you going to do?" And I said, "Yeah, I know." And i said well i said uh, uh okay i'll tell my people to go out the back way and i said i'm sorry to hear about that And he looked over sure know what he said he said well you can be sorry about it preacher but i can tell you this if he'd have been to your bible study and i stood down the bar he wouldn't have been shot you know that was a solid piece of little theology there you know that you know what i believe i believe when you get saved god has a plan for you i know you have an appointment for death because the bible says it's an appointment on the man wants to die and after this the judgment no, obviously, we all have like to keep canceling that appointment and rescheduling. <laughs> anyway. I believe that when you get saved, God has a plan for you. And at that point, God enacts that plan, and God has so many years. But you know what I also believe? I believe that you can cut short that plan, and I believe that you can put yourself in the wrong place or the bad place or a place you shouldn't be, and, and happen chance takes place because of the fact that sin runs rampant in this world, and you get your life cut short. I believe that. I believe that. There's examples of that in the Bible. I believe that. I believe that's true. You know what the Bible says? Some of you young people here, they're still under your mom and dad's jurisdiction. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, honor your father and mother for just the first commandment given with promise. You ever read that over there in Ephesians? You know what that promise is? The promise is that if you live, if, here's what the Bible says. Now you take it for what it's worth. The Bible says this. If you are a young man or a young lady and you're under your mom and dad's jurisdiction and you do what's right and obey them, the Bible says God gives you a longer life than you do if you, and the the promise is in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, that if you don't obey your mother and father, God come down and take your life earlier than he would if he, I don't know what you do with that. Am I going to say now if you're 17, 16 years old and you had a fight with your mom and dad, you're going to get killed on the way home? No, that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's the principle. That's the principle. That's the principle. So I, I, that's what I believe and there's some things that we need to understand today and I think that you know we look at the world with all of its death and all of its heartache and all of its people dying and people sorrow and all those stuff and I understand that but you know what when we walk around and we blame God about it and we say well why God did you do this you need to understand something that was not God's plan you do realize that you realize that God never intended for anybody on planet Earth ever to die and go to hell Bible says in Matthew chapter 25 when he created hell he created it for the devil and his angels he never mentioned man at one time you know why because in his perfect plan he never intended for you to be there if you get there you know how you get there somebody says well God's gonna send you to hell no 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 God never sends a man to hell anywhere in the Bible in the history of the world that man chooses to go there over the choice that God gave him See, God never intended you to be there you think God's perfect plan, and with Adam and Eve in the garden, was the fact that it was going to be sin, death? while He put them in a place with a perfect estate where there was never any heartache, never any problem? That He got the tree of life and they lived forever. It, it was, it was, it was. God's plan was a, an incredible plan. There was no death. There was no sin. There was no, there was no tragedy. There was no heartache. There was no grieving. There was no, there was no bad times. Man chose the the alternate plan. Verse twelve says, "Wherefore." because of what he said as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men there is death there is heartache there is tragedy in this world because of sin and that was our choice that wasn't God's choice we ruined God's plan and you know what how do you get mad at God the very fact and and please please don't stand there and say well that rotten Adam if he wouldn't have screwed it up if you'd have been out of place you'd have done the same thing you know how i know that because you had a time when you were under the blood the age of accountability and you came to the point where you didn't know right from wrong and everybody in this room took the wrong choice and became a sinner that's how i know you do it i mean that's we're, we got a problem and, he, and how do you get mad at god even after even after man ruined god's plan man turned it upside down man went after it and you know you find when god set it up you find human nature even back there he comes to adam and he says adam what did you do? What did you do? Did you eat of that fruit? You know what Adam said? He looked God right in the eye, and he said, Well, God, the woman you gave me. <laughs> he went to Eve, and he said, What would you do, sweetheart? She said, Well, that old devil. That was the original Flip Wilson right there. The devil made me do it. See? Nobody could fess up and said, You know what? I just screwed it up. God, I'm sorry. And in spite of that, we, you and me, have been alibi in God ever since. Every time we screw up, it's somebody else's fault. Every time some tragedy happens, it's God's fault. Truth of the matter is, even after a lifetime of doing that, God still loved us enough to send his own son and die and make a way out of the mess that we made when we screwed up his plan and God says, well, then I'll just make another plan because I love you. Oh, God, you better get a hold of that truth. You better get a hold of that. Even after we did it, he still tries to make it up Adam and Eve they went out there disobeyed God falling into sin hiding in the bushes went out and got them fig leaves something like this covering them all over themselves and how do I look with this goo green leaf suit what's the Bible say Bible says Adam God said Adam that ain't gonna work you got to cover your nakedness with something innocent that died." so the Bible says he went out and got him coats of skin he killed something innocent all the way back there to cover their nakedness and he's been doing that all down through history and finally matthew mark luke and john he sent down his son to die for you and for me on the cross because of what you and i did to wreck his plan he never held it against us Whew, that's a great verse but god commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners christ died for us and now i know in saying this that the average child of god can't even remotely grasp it i know that i'm not i'm not condescending to you i'm, I'm trying to help you here You've got to start to realize that someplace. We have absolutely you no know, real relationship with God other than the illusion that we have in our minds, and they have become so self-centered and so selfish that it's all about us. We're like Lot. All we think about is our comfort first. Oh, let me alone, escape, and everybody else can just get killed in the process. Now, let me just say something to you. If you lose a loved one, and I'm not talking out of school. I lost my dad when I was 19, year, 19 years, 20, year, 20 years of age. I'm 58 years old. And you know what to this day I still miss my dad till this day there isn't a, a fall that comes we used to go rabbit hunting in the fall when those brisk mornings when I'm running down there and the leaves are turning or some November morning when it's just a little frost on the ground I don't think of me and my dad two crying out there and, and going out and doing what we used to do think about it all the time all those years so I can speak what it did for me and when you lose a loved one and that loved one was a saved person you know what it does it does some good things I'm not saying there isn't grief I still grieve I still miss him I still think about it I still see movies and make me weep and cry because it makes my relationship back to what it was with him but I'll tell you something there's some good things that come out of it you know what you know what I'll tell you one thing that did for me it made heaven more real to me because before that time heaven wasn't really real to me once I had somebody up there cheering for me in the cheering section it made it a little more special okay I'll tell you something else it did it made God more real in my life before that time God was just a yes or no guy whatever we wanted to do fine he was some concept but a moment my dad got there and my dad was a saved man the moment my, did, he didn't do all we think that was right he didn't live everything right but he was a saved man and the moment he got there and wasn't here anymore and that void was there in my heart you know what I did I filled that void with the Word of God and found out where my dad was and I learned everything about where he was and I learned some good things and heaven became more real to me. God became more real to me. And through the process of that, the Bible became more real to me. And you know, when I got 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 heaven more real and God more real and the Bible more real, I learned the great truth. The passing of my dad wasn't permanent, it was only temporary. The same God that the man brought sin in this world, the same God that paid the price to get it out, the same God that didn't hold it against me or get it against you. That we were just like. I mean, somebody said, "Well, you don't understand. God killed some. Some man killed my child. Hey, I got news for you. Some man killed God's child. You know who that man was, don't you? I mean, the Romans may have put the nails in his hand, and the Jews may want him done. But let's be honest. Your sin and my sin nailed him to it. When I preach funerals, I love preaching funerals. I love funerals better than weddings. Of course, there's a lot of of similarity between the two. David, you need to learn that. (laughs) Somebody said, "Old Mel Sabaka one time about marriage. Says marriage is a fine institution." Yeah, and Mel said, "Yeah, if you like living in an institution." (laughs) (laughs) When I preach funerals, and I love preaching funerals, when I preach a funeral, when I get down to that thing, boy, when I come down to the end, I always tell the family. Because you're trying to give, and if it's a saved man, I mean, if it's a saved person, everybody's saved. It's a piece of cake. I mean, if it's a saved person, everybody's saved. It's a piece of cake. But I always try to leave them with reality of what's going on here. And I say that I look them right in the eye. I forget everybody else is there. I look them right in the eye, and I say to that person called him by name, and I said, you know what? Aren't you glad that evolution isn't true today? aren't you glad that we're just not some biological accident and a big bang back here blew something in and we evolved up through this thing aren't you glad evolution isn't true today that we just didn't evolve from nothing and when you die it's all gone aren't you glad of that aren't you glad today that, that 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 atheism isn't true Aren't you glad today? Don't you have the hope in your heart that there is a God and He loves you and He made a way for you and for me? Aren't you glad today that when we have to close that casket a little bit and put it down on that ground, aren't you glad today that where everybody else who's lost has to say goodbye forever, we just say I'll see you in just a little while? Well, there's some hope in that. There's some hope in that. Now, I'll tell you something else. I don't know if you can get this. I don't think probably most of you can, but maybe you'll begin to be the process. I don't know. I don't know. By the grace of God, God forbid. I don't use my own self. God forbid I ever lose a child or a grandchild. But let me ask you a question. If you ever find yourself in that predicament, based on what we got in Romans 5, how do you deal with that? How in the world do you deal with that? How do you deal with it? How do you keep from getting mad at God? How do you keep from blaming God? I mean, obviously, when it's a little child, it's something that's so innocent. When it's somebody that's a young person, we think they were robbed of their life. You know, why, didn't they, why wasn't it somebody? We don't feel so bad when a, uh, when a 90-year-old person dies because they had a full life. Oh, we may miss them, and there may be some bonds there, but it ain't like when a little baby dies. I've seen, little, I've seen little white caskets about that big boy with a hole where a guy years ago I married, uh, you know, and had a little baby, and that baby died, and, and they was at the funeral, and that funeral director made everybody to, want everybody to leave and that little white casket on that thing, boy, and, they were gonna, and that guy went over and started to pick up that casket, and the funeral director said, No, you can't do that. He said, Out of your way, bub. Don't even get around me. He picked up that little, he said, Nobody's putting my little baby girl on the ground but me. And he laid down there and laid that little casket down there in that little hole. Stood there and watched them put the dirt over him. And how do you deal with that? I mean, we're supposed the glory and tribulation. How do you get through something like that without getting mad at God or without blaming God? You know how I get through it? Now, this is going to sound real callous and crass, and I don't mean it to be. But I'll put it in my own context if I lost a daughter or I lost a son-in-law or I lost a, I lost one of my grandchildren and I'm sitting there with a pain and a hole in my heart as big as the, uh, the, the world and dealing with the grief and all the agony and tears running down my face you know what I'd be thinking on the inside honestly you want to know what I'd hope I'd be thinking on the inside I would hope I'd be thinking on the inside God it hurts I can't stand it it's the most terrible thing in my life I don't know what I'm going to do but God the truth of the matter is why am I any better why shouldn't it happen to me? What makes me so special? You gave your son. You know what the problem is when we get that way? We have pain in our heart, but we don't even have a relationship with God enough to know the pain that was in heart the day he lost his son. It's all about us. Well, we feel my pain and my agony. What about the day when God walked into the throne room and the throne was empty? where his son sat who the Bible tells you was the apple of God's eye who never did a thing wrong to his father that was totally obedient to his father in every form and fashion and had a love relationship with his father so incredible that no relationship on earth could match it but could be patterned after it what do you do the day that God sat there when his son was on the cross and he yelled out hey my God my God why hast thou forsaken me?" What about the agony in God's heart when he had to turn his back on his own son? Walk away and put you and me in our sin, in our ungodliness, above his righteous son. You know what your problem is? You don't think God hurts, do you? You think God's some big bright light up in the sky. You think up in heaven that God is just always a big smiley face. God hurts God has pain, and if you know anything about your Bible, you and I can grieve the Holy Spirit of God to the point where it it makes Him weep. When Christ was there in the garden, He wept. He cried out to His Father, "Why hast Thou forsaken me?" And God, who loved Him, turned His back on Him, never even answered Him. You realize that's the only prayer in the Bible that God never answered. He'll answer every prayer you got. He'll respond to every request you have. Maybe not in your time, but certainly in his time. But that's one prayer that God turned his back on and he never answered. You lose a little loved one, you can cry out to God. He'll give you comfort. He'll put some in your life. Jesus got nothing but the cross. God turned his back on him. Stopped his ears when he cried out in agony. Allowed them to torture him. Oh, my dear friend, it's no wonder when he finally died while the sun refused to shine. It's no wonder when he finally expired on the cross while the earth quaked and the thunder rolled and the lightning flashed. It's no wonder that this earth quaked from one end to the other. God's heart was broken. Doesn't mean you don't grieve. Doesn't mean you don't hurt, doesn't mean you don't cry, doesn't mean you don't miss that person, but you understand that there's one that's greater than you, that paid the price and hurt, felt your pain, your hurt. He wept, his heart was broken, he couldn't even answer the very prayer of his son that was the apple of his eye. He turned his back on him for you and for me. We are so selfish. We are so spoiled. We are about us. Let me ask you an honest question. And I know this is probably way over most of your heads. How did the Waldendians get through it? How did the Albigensians get through it? How did when the Roman Catholic Church took their little kids and held those little kids and tried to get them to deny Jesus Christ and when they wouldn't deny Jesus Christ, took little kids... 8 or 9, 10 or 12, threw them into a pig, of wild pigs. while the little kids ran around screaming for mommy, daddy, and mom and daddy are locked behind the bars and can't do anything. And the pigs eat them and chase them and pull them down and stomp them in the mud and then eat them while they're still alive. Let me ask you a question. Oh, is that too tough for you? You saw more or worse than that on television last week. You know what the difference is? I'm talking about a reality. I'm talking about people who actually lived what they said. There weren't a bunch of people like us that just talks it and then goes and does what we want to do. They understood. And now I'll tell you how they got through it. I'll tell you how moms and dads stood there and watched when, when they wouldn't deny Christ. Those old wicked nuns taking those little three and four year old boys and they want to go to mommy and they pull them back. And the nuns telling them that you're going to be killed in the morning, but we're going to take your kids and we're going to raise them in the convent. And we're going to raise them up roman catholic what would you do how do you deal with that pain and that agony in your heart i'll tell you what got them through it's the only thing it'll get anybody through but the grace of god is what to get you through and me through that you factor, yeah whatever pain you got in your heart and whoever you lose or whatever you lose and how bad it is the bottom line is this god went through the same thing and he went through the same thing so that when you and I have to go through the same thing it'll only be temporary it won't be eternal oh I thank God today that every loved one I lost I'm going to be together again I thank God today that for every loved one every friend of mine that because of Christ because of what he did on Calvary's cross because of the price that he paid you and I don't have to look at a bleak eternity without a loved one. Yes, it may be a while, a short while. But hey, get back on the timetable. What time is it? This old life isn't permanent. It's only temporary. When Christ comes back We're going to be in a better place with a better time, and it's going to be perfect. There'll be no death. There'll be no devil. There'll be no sin. And you'll be in a place, whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever you do, just pleases God. That's heaven. That's heaven. Oh, yes, for a righteous man one would die, and for a good man some would dare to die. But how about for an unrighteous man? How about somebody like you and I who deserve everything that we get? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says for when we were yet without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We talk about the the price that Christ paid. And I fully understand that. But what about the price that God paid? What about the pain in his heart? What about the agony that he took the apple of his eye? the one that he had waited for 6,000 years, the or 5,000 years to come, and the one that he had finally had a relationship in an earthly sense and was going to give him the kingdom to this world and make him everything, and together they were going to reign and join forever. But before they could get to that point, God turned his back on his son and let the cruel, wicked hands of this world mutilate him, torture him, slap him, spit in his face, and then wind up killing him. And you think God just stood there and said, Yep, it's got to be done. It's got to be done. I guarantee you, God's heart was broken. I guarantee you, God's heart was broken. And the reason why you don't have the relationship with God that you understand that is the reason why when tragedy befalls you in your life, you and I can't rejoice in it. When you understand the price That God paid you better understand the price that you and I need to pay and this world will never understand it you'll understand as Romans chapter 12 says what you and I now call unreasonable and understand a little better why God calls it reasonable he didn't ask you to die for him maybe some of you will but he didn't ask you to die and be a martyr for him maybe some of you will he died for you he wants you to live for him the truth of the matter is, folks, it's a lot easier to die for Christ than it is to live for Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter four verse twelve simply says this. He says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, That's your sorrow even as others which have no hope." There's the thing right there. The whole world has no hope. You and I have the hope, and it isn't like, "Oh, I hope He's coming," or "I hope." It's the hope. We have it. We have it. They don't have it. We have the hope. And the Bible goes on and down there and paraphrasing it says that we know that if Jesus died and came back, he's going to bring the dead with him, and he's going to raise the dead, and he's going to bring those with him that are already up in heaven, and there's going to be a great year reunion. And then the Bible comes down through there, and it says, down there in verse 18, it says, "Because of what I said, because of what I just gave you, and all the things you've got in the Bible. Wherefore? Comfort one another with these words. There's your comfort. But you see our problem, we think this world is forever. We have fallen right into the trap that the devil laid oh we believe there's a God don't we oh yeah we do we believe there's a heaven we believe there's a hell we just all believe there was no hurry going back to our lessons a couple of weeks ago Abraham got to this point in his life that's why he was willing to lay Isaac on the altar as a sacrifice in Genesis chapter 2 And the Bible says because of that he became God's friend And the goal for us and for this church should be the same i don't care where you're at this morning i really don't our bible says that god loves you he died for you and maybe today after this message maybe some of you still won't get it but if just some of you begin to get the first few crumbs of that great truth of how you look at life and how you deal and how you glory in your tribulations knowing and understanding the price that was paid and how it affects you Why, 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 why are you and I something special? Why should we go through a charmed life without any bad things happening? When I look at some tragedy that befalls him in my life, the first thing that goes through my mind is not, "Oh, woe is me! Oh, how did this happen? Oh, why are they doing this to me?" You know what it is? It comes. They come down to this: Why am I any better than anybody else? Why not me? Am I something special? Well, Jesus Christ was something special to His Father, and God gave Him up for you and for me. And once you understand that great truth, you understand that there's some things in this life, hey, God may recall us to give up. You need to focus on the comfort side of it, not the bad side of it. And that only comes by having a relationship with God. Now, let me just say this. Maybe you're here today, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Maybe you're here today, and if you were to die right now, you don't know for sure where you're at. Maybe you're here today, and you're like one of those three guys I talked about. Maybe you're like one of those guys that are caught up in all of the things of this world. And maybe you want to break out. Maybe you want to get to the point in your life where you can get away from the world and the things of it that have obviously maybe brought you to a downfall. I don't know. Maybe you're somebody here this morning that you just know you're lost without hope, without Christ, and you know you need to be saved now because the Holy Spirit of God dug down in your heart. I don't care where you're at. But I want you to know this: whatever state you're in this morning, if you're a lost man or you're a lost woman, God will save you this morning. It has nothing to do with this church. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with anything other than God and the Bible. He says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. Every head bowed and every eye closed, and we're going to be few here in just a moment. Now listen, I know as well as I'm standing.